You may be seated. Scripture for today is found in John chapter 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. He was with God and He was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that He did not make. Life itself was in Him, and his, this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot understand it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. That's the story. As we've gone through the Bible, this is the story. It's about how we broke the world, the beautiful world, the world full of light that God gave us. We broke it. And when we did, God started pouring light back in, working in a man named Abraham to say, if you believe in me, if you give everything that you love, then light will spread out to the world. And then his children freeing them from slavery in Egypt so that the world could see that there is a God more powerful than Pharaoh. And then those same children of God going through the wilderness, making a covenant and saying, we will be your people. We know that life is following you and we choose you, God. And then as the world watched, these same ragtag group of people cross the Jordan River defeat Jericho with just the sound of their voice and the power of God. They, they win all these victories they shouldn't have won. That's the story. It's God's light shining into the darkness, and the darkness is not able to overcome it. That's the story. And so we have David who faces down a giant. And we have his son Solomon when God says, what do you want? Ask for anything. Solomon says, give me wisdom to lead. And we hear in the story that what God had said would happen, that the light would shine and the world would draw near and want more, want to know, who is this God? Is he a God of more than just one group of people? Could this be the God of the world? They start coming. They see that the people of Israel are living beautifully, strangely, wonderfully different lives. And so they start asking about it, and there are foreigners who are coming to God and to faith. But light, the fire of God can never be put out unless you decide you don't want it. See, the fire has to have something to burn on, a wick, a heart, and so it's up to us whether or not we allow that fire, that light to fill us up or whether we turn away. And the sad part about Solomon is, is his, in his later years, he turned away. He stopped focusing on being the ruler that the people needed and following God and putting his face to God. And he turned his face towards worthless things, the wind, things that evaporate. And so the light started to flicker. And the people began to be oppressed, God's people in their own land, now burdened by their king who is taxing them. And he dies, and they call out to his son, have mercy on us. Free us from this burden so that we can be who we're supposed to be. We're going to serve you faithfully if you just ease up. 
And Rehoboam says to them, no. If you think my father was bad, I'm even worse. And that's when we talked about how there was a great rupture, a break. And 10 of the tribes left forever. There were 12. 10 leave. They go form the nation of Israel. They take the name with them. Their new capital is Samaria, and they choose a new king. And in the south, you still have two tribes. These are the people who call themselves Judah now. They have a Davidic king, and their capital is Jerusalem. Now, this group here has a chance to renew, has a chance to kindle that flame, to fan it, and let it grow bright now that they're away from the oppression of the king. But the first thing that we see happening is not good. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a chance to get out your study guide. Get out your study guide. And on the back of it, you're going to have a list of all of the kings of Israel and Judah because it gets confusing. So all the kings, once the break happens, and it's real easy to see because it's, they show you how long they reigned by a space of, you know, how big it is. And then they say, that graph says, if it's black, that king did not follow God. If it's white, they did. If it's gray, they did both. So I want you to look at Israel, which is on the right, and tell me what kind of kings do we have in Israel for 200 years? It's bad. It's bad. There is not one king in Israel that puts his face towards God. Every one of them turns away. Every one of them is not only not concerned with the things of God, but is actively pouring water on the people's faith, trying to extinguish it, trying to water it down. And so the first thing that Jeroboam does when he's king over Israel is he creates two golden calves, giant, sets them up in big towns in Israel and says, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. This is not a good thing. Do y'all remember in the story there was this golden calf that got them into big trouble? So to see two golden calves in the nation of Israel is kind of a hint from the writers of this that this story will not end well. And over the next 200 years, the people's faith, they douse it. You know, the, the fire of God is so much brighter than a candle, but it needs a heart to live in. And they're pouring water on it by chasing after the wrong things, by turning away from God. It, the Bible says they chased hahabel. Hahabel, it means worthless things. And literally that word habel means the wind. They were chasing the wind. And the Bible says that when you chase the wind, when they chase the wind for 200 years, generation after generation after generation, the people became hahabel. They became worthless. They became a puff of wind. Their faith was dead, and they didn't want it back. See, if they had wanted it back, what would have God done? Kindled the flame. Right? We have seen this in the story that if you mess up, it could be the worst mess up, and turn back around, the story isn't over. They never turned. Chance after chance, God is reaching out to them saying, take my hand, have a relationship with me. They won't do it. And so into the scene comes the nation called Assyria. 
And this is after 200 years of prophets going to Israel. Assyria is the worst in the history of the ancient Near East. They turn my stomach when I think about Assyria. They were that bad. They conquered everyone. They were brutal. Um, The people who, you know, they'd destroy the population, and then whoever was left, they would mutilate them. They would take off their skin, or they would chop off limbs. Or um, there are pictures that the Assyrians made of what they did to people, and they just show piles of heads. That's what Assyria did. And the few people who were left when Assyria was done with you, they would put a hook in your nose and a rope through it. And they would lead the people off like cattle to, the re- to these parts in their empire that were far from their home. And they wouldn't let you go with your brother or your child. They wouldn't let you go with your husband or your wife. They scattered you across the the empire, and they resettled you in these various different places. And then they pulled people who they had conquered down to Israel, all these different people, and resettled them. It was the most effective way in the ancient world of completely destroying a civilization. And that's what happened to Israel. But I want to be clear about who destroyed Israel. They destroyed themselves. They blew out the candle. And all Assyria did was scatter the smoke that was left. Their choice. And so to this day, these ten tribes are called the lost tribes of Israel. They never returned. They are lost to history Yes, because Assyria came, but really it was because of what they had done to themselves. They had abandoned God. And so when Assyria came, there was nothing left. This is how I know. Because Assyria eventually came to Judah. It was many years later, for years and years, they had been, Judah had said, we'll pay you homage, just don't come do that to us. They were a vassal. Then under a king named Hezekiah, Hezekiah is one of the good guys. You see him in white. He had a long reign. He tried to help the people fan the flame. Everything he does is to restore the fire of God within the people's lives. He revolts against Assyria, and they come knocking. And Sennacherib writes, he's an Assyrian, of the battles. He says, we you know, we destroyed all these towns in Judah on our way to Jerusalem. That's true. They would have. And all the people who were left are pulling back inside Jerusalem's walls. Walled cities were your protection. They go up the hill to Jerusalem, and they watch from the ramparts as the Assyrian plague comes closer. And the Assyrian officials come to the gate. The king is there. He sends his emissaries to the gate to bargain with Hezekiah's men. And at first they're talking in Aramaic, which the people in the gate wouldn't have understood, the people manning the walls. These are the common people who are ready to fight for their land. And then the Assyrians switch to Hebrew. It's like if they had been speaking in German and now they're speaking English. And suddenly all of us can understand, and that's what they wanted. They wanted the people on the wall to be afraid, to give up. And so they say, 
give up. No nation in the history of the world has ever beaten us. They rattle off all these nations that used to be great and are now nothing. They say, no God has ever prevailed against us. These gods fell before us. Oh, and hey, isn't your God the same God that was in Israel? We beat him. You don't stand a chance. Give up. Don't trust your king. Don't trust your God. It's empty promises, and we're about to blow you away. Carriers take the letter to the king, and he reads it. And he knows that they, little as they are, do not have what it takes to withstand this storm. So he carries the letter to the temple of the Lord, and he lays it out on the altar so that God can see it. He says, God, this is what we're up against. Can't do it, but you are the God of creation. Help. Help us. And that night, all Israel goes to sleep. The people on the walls, they're not going to give up. They're not going to lose their faith. Did you see that? They're terrified. They know nobody's withstood this. But they also know that God is still with them. And that night, the angel of the Lord goes through the Assyrian camp. And when the king wakes up, he wakes up to a sight he has never seen before. Defeat. 185,000 of his soldiers have just died. Their candles, blown out by a power he can't even understand, let alone hope to defy. And so guess what that Assyrian king does? He hightails it out of there. He leaves. So Sennacherib's records, this general of the Assyrians said, we had Hezekiah trapped like a bird behind the walls of Jerusalem. Guess what it doesn't say? That the bird got away. That they were defeated. That the light shone out from these people who believed against terrible odds that God could be victorious. Because they weren't running after Hahabel. They were running after God. And when the storm came, they believed. Now what we're going to see in Judah's history is that the flame will, will waver. You can look at the chart and see there's ups and downs. There's bad and good. And eventually, we're going to talk about soon, they fall. But they're not destroyed. Even in exile, they're going to carry this flame with them. They're going to come back and rebuild. And Isaiah is talking to them. Isaiah is a prophet. He's telling them, don't despair because this, the flame within your heart, which sometimes feels so flickering and so feeble, this is not the end of the story. There's a Savior coming. One who will be wounded on your behalf. One who will win the battles you never could. The Savior is coming. And Isaiah says the Savior, if he finds a bent reed, he won't break it. And if he finds a flickering candle, he won't snuff it out. And that's our hope, is that we live on the other side of this story. The light has come into the world. The darkness must flee. 
And so when you stand on the walls and you see the storm coming, the plague coming, when the voices that are against you say, give it up because you're never going to win, everybody else has failed, and you're a failure too, don't believe them. When they tell you that God is not true, don't believe them. The God who doesn't despise a flickering candle can make his light, his life, burn in you, in us. Isn't that the witness that we are giving to the world? Somebody came to me after the last service and was like, we're doing it, aren't we? So we're doing it. We're not perfect, but we're doing it. And you and me, we're all going to stand on the sunny days, on the days when there's a storm, because the power within us is far greater than the darkness out there. And we have a calling to let our light shine so that the world will see it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't understand it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, never extinguish it. Let's pray. God, we invite you to let your light shine within us. We are not perfect. Um, Thankfully, you're not asking for that. You're asking for willing hearts, and so we give you ours. We are willing, and if you will, Lord, then let your light shine into the places that we walk. Let other people see it so that they could come to. And Lord, may the world be a better place, a lighter place, because we've been here and because we believe there is no darkness that can overcome what you are doing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.